Dingle, wake up for a minute. I gotta talk to you, buddy. Look, Bobby, I'm asleep. Sound asleep, Bobby. I'm dreaming. Apache women. My ties. Vanna White and a whip. I'm in love. That could be a problem. I don't think you understand. No, no, I do understand. I really do. Which hand is it this week, pal? You're in love with Laney? Laney! Laney Diamond! I can't believe what I'm hearing here, Bobby! Are we talking about Joel's Laney? Hold on. Are we talking about Laney, the one that looks great in a leotard, Laney? Yeah, great. She looks fabulous in a leotard. She's Joel's. You forgetting who Joel is? Joel? Joel? Psycho Joel? Joel's gonna kill me. Joel's gonna walk in here and kill both of us at the same time. Love, lust, yearning, dreams. The power of the mind can keep a couple together forever, but into the mystic, things change, and so do people. This week, everybody, we're doing a body swap of our own. This week, we covered 1989's Corey Feldman, Corey Haim collab, Dream a Little Dream. That's right, you're hearing my voice first this week. I am one of your hosts. This is Jim in the house, and my, I would say, Corey Haim or Corey Feldman, depending on your drug of the week, is my co-host Kevin. What's up, Kevin? I always preferred Haim. So did I. But later on, I'm like, Feldman had more appeal. Feldman, Which is a stretch. Well, right. The two Corys, and as we'll learn in this one, oh, God, yeah. without Feldman, you know, without some help, Haim wouldn't have been in this one. That's true. The two Corys movies all happened. Weren't a whole lot of successful Haim-only vehicles. No. But a lot of good performances were it was Feldman and no Haim. That's right. I don't know. I I wish Corey Feldman would have stayed Corey Feldman and not Michael Jackson. Yes. Jesus Christ. Signaled. Yeah. If you think he's Michael Jackson in this one, you should see the second one. It's well, we'll get into the second one. But that's right. We are covering Dream a Little Dream this week, directed by the infamous Mark Rocco. And now I know a lot of you are really 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 well versed when it comes to the mark rocco filmography scenes from the gold mine this movie of course where the days take you teresa's tattoo teresa's tattoo producer only he didn't even want to be directed he's a producer of teresa's tattoo murder in the first which i think would be the most identifiable kevin bacon pretty good movie and then producer only the jacket 10 years later in 2005 oh so needless to say mr rocco did not have a very illustrious career and when it comes to this movie it has the dubious distinction of being zero percent on rotten tomatoes so much so that roger ebert even said dream a little dream is an aggressively unwatchable movie (laughs) and i couldn't agree more with roger ebert because i think this movie drove me into wanting to see independence day resurgence again it is a movie that had so much of a ceiling and throughout it it just seemed like fuck it just whatever yeah finish it off 
The tagline of the movie, life can be strange, dangerous, and confusing, and incredibly exciting. Kevin, what's the exciting part? Wait, that's the tagline? That's the tagline. That's just like an observation. It's what it seems like because it's a strange movie, dangerous, probably because of Joel, very (laughs) fucking confusing, no excitement. I was not excited while watching this because I'm like, the only way I could be excited by watching this movie is explain to me what the hell is happening at any given time. I honestly, yes, you're exactly right. I, I'm lost for where the excitement was. It's pretty bad. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. But before we get into this any further, Kevin, why don't you give all the pool seniors out there the budget, the box office, and the news at the time of release. So, Jim, before the news, do you know the original title of this one? Long Before Tomorrow. Weird, right? What? Long Before What? Is, this, so, I guess I would put this in the same sort of category as like, a pump up the volume. I would agree. It'd be an okay double feature. Yeah. But pump up the volume, we said on that episode, would have not been called pump up. Like they just bought the rights to a, a song that had nothing to do with the movie. That they didn't use in the movie. So this one being called Long Before Tomorrow, I mean, it neither helps nor hurts this one. No. Because buying the rights to Dream a Little Dream, it's not like, hey, I like that song, so I want to go watch that two Corys movie. <laughs> it makes no sense. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. And now it's time for Pool Scene News. From WUAB, Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. My first time covering news on this show is tough because this was released right near a couple other films we've covered, and therefore, we've covered a lot of this news before. Dream a Little Dream was released March 3rd, 1989 to an unknown budget. Jim, any guesses on the budget? I would like to know if the budget was divvied out with the soundtrack and cocaine bags because that's (laughs) the only thing that we could figure out because there's no congruent proof that this made any money whatsoever. How much much money did we spend on Michael Jackson merch? Oh, Jesus. Well, here's the budget for a couple other 1989 comedies. See No Evil, Hear No Evil had an $18 million budget. And that's Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Chances are with Robert Downey Jr., which my mom loves, $16 million budget. Weekend at Bernie's, $15 million. Say Anything, $16 million. Gleaming the Cube, $10 million. And not that many people even saw that movie. So I guess Dream a Little Dream costs somewhere between <laughs> eight, 8 and $15 million, <laughs> Yeah, that is agree. what I would put it at. Yeah. It grossed $2.5 million in opening weekend in the United States and Canada, but then went on to only gross a total a $5.5 million total worldwide. So basically made half its total box office in the opening weekend. And because then, nobody wanted, hey, what movie did you see? Don't go see this movie. I don't know what well, it is. That or the Corey heads were like yeah. out in full force and then just a sprinkling of other people saw it. Dream a Little Dream opened the same day as Skin Deep, which we covered in our crossover episode with Midnight Movie Podcast. The same day. Oh, wow. At the box office, Lean On Me was your number one movie, followed by Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Burbs, Rain Man, and Dream a Little Dream opened in fifth place. It's shocking that it opened that high. Skin Deep opened in seventh place. Hey, so we're covering the bottom of that For those keeping track. So we've covered The Burbs, Dream a Little Dream, and skin deep. I could honestly see us covering Lean On Me, Rain Man, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I could see us covering the top six movies, seven movies from March 3rd, 1989. 
A few weeks later, Heathers was released on March 31st, which I want to cover, followed by Say Anything, which we should probably cover. Major League and Field of Dreams followed a couple weeks later in April. It's the only baseball thing that will probably be covered this year because there's probably not going to be a baseball season. Yeah, probably will be no baseball. Not to gloss over it, but we've mentioned a few times on here. You had the Tiananmen Square Massacre around this time. You also had the Exxon Valdez oil tanker spill. 11 million gallons of oil into the Prince William Sound in a Alaska. On March 3rd, throughout history, in 1934, bank robber John Dillinger made a daring escape from prison in Crown Point, Indiana. The first episode of Moonlighting debuted in 1985. Oh! And Bruce Willis has chased that feeling since. (laughs) And in 2005, Steve Fawcett became the first to complete a solo nonstop circumnavigation of Earth without refueling. He landed in Kansas after 67 hours in flight. Wait, is he Superman? (laughs) Yes, he is actually. He landed in Smallville. Let's throw it over to our man George in sports. Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael. Welcome to the Sports Machine. Thank you, George. In sports, on March 11th, 1989, we had a date with destiny. That was how the fight was billed for Evander, the real deal Holyfield versus Michael Dynamite Dokes, who was from Akron, Ohio. Oh, The winner would be guaranteed a title shot at Mike Tyson's heavyweight title. Referee Richard Steele stopped the fight in the 10th round via TKO for winner Evander Holyfield. It took Holyfield 10 rounds to beat a scrub. And then go figure. Guy wasn't a scrub. Guy actually was a really good fighter. Never heard of him. I think he went to prison. Oh, well. But then he had a redemption arc, came back to boxing after a three or four year hiatus, was actually a really good fighter. I don't know what happened to him after he lost the Holyfield fight, but then the Holyfield and Tyson fight didn't happen. Because of James Buster Douglas knocking out Tyson in Tokyo. Right. Which then derailed a lot. Douglas got bodied by Holyfield. I never knew. So not to go on a tangent. Did you know that there is a controversy involving so tyson started to pick up steam later in that fight yeah and he knocks down buster douglas buster douglas did the smart thing that you do in boxing and you use your full eight count you take a rest yeah, you take your time you take your time getting up and you tell the ref okay i'm good i'm ready to fight there are timed videos on youtube that buster douglas got a 13 second count doesn't surprise me he got a 13 second eight count so there's a controversy and don king actually tried to like legally challenge it to throw the fight out because of the slow count i think people were pissed because tyson was winning way too much and there was just nobody to stop him steffi grabbed defeated Anna Hendrickson in the finals of the U.S. Women's Hardcourt Championships. I used to have a crush on Steffi Graf. She the one got stabbed? No, that's Monica, Monica Sellis. Okay, that's a weird thing to happen. To culminate March Madness, Jim's Michigan Wolverines yeah! defeated the Seton Hall Pirates in the 1989 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Go Blue! Alan Rice. Our number one song on Billboard at the time for three straight weeks was Lost in Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson. Ooh. Until it was usurped by Mike and the Mechanics of the Living Years. Okay. Say it loud. Say it clear. Also to note, Michael Damien's Rock On from the Dream a Little Dream soundtrack would go on to reach number one 
on June 3rd for one week only. And that was all that was going on on March 3rd, 1989. All right, before we go any further, the past couple of weeks, we have not done this, Kevin. So I'm going to give you your Moonfall update. Ooh. Where is Moonfall now in the world of box office numbers? Moonfall, the moon is falling. Halle Berry and Space Shuttles it's Moonfall. As of this date, Moonfall, remember, had a $140 million budget. It has only made $38.3 million. And it's got to be reaching the end of its run. Oh, how the moon has fallen. Oh, I don't man. think we're getting those sequels. Uh, no, we're done. If we do, it'll be a straight to DVD or a sci-fi channel release. But what hasn't fallen is... The one thing that I'm going to try to talk you guys through that I don't even understand is I'm going to read it. But right now, <laughs> let's dream our asses right into a plot of this movie. What did you do, Ryan? A moose? Uh, you're Dinger, right? Right. Me, Dinger. You, Bobby. Me look cool. You look like shit, pal. It's okay, though. It's okay. We'll make it a fashion statement. Bobby Keller is a high school kid, one of the cool kids especially in his clique. He is in love with Lainey Diamond. Great name. Oh, it's fantastic. Lainey Diamond. Coleman and Gina Edinger are a married couple and through the power of an alpha wave meditative state. Let me repeat that. Alpha wave meditative state. Coleman can be with his wife, Gina, forever. Bobby and Coleman are at odds because Bobby... His best friend, Dinger, maybe his best friend, Dinger. I don't know. <laughs> this movie wants you to think that Joel is his best friend, but whatever. And his friends cut through his flower garden to get to school against his repeated orders. Instead of literally yeah. walking the square around on the sidewalk, they want to cut through his cut flower garden. Yep. What a fucking bunch of pricks. One fateful night as Coleman and Gina are doing the experiment in the backyard, the experiment being, let's go into this trance so we can be together forever. Bobby and Lainey collide while they are doing the experiment, causing all four to swap bodies. Well, maybe. Look, I, I don't know. Yeah, we no fucking clue if that really occurred. At least we know two, two of them Two of them did. swap. Two of them go... <laughs> We have no we idea. Have no idea. It's like a Sam Beckett thing. They leaped into somebody's yes. body and they can't find their way home. Coleman becomes Bobby and Gina becomes Laney. Nah. I don't <laughs> I mean, know. Not really. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. In his dream, Coleman is greeted by the real Bobby, which the dream state is kind of a an in-between. It's like a lost thing from and what Bobby I Bobby loves the dream world. He loves it because he's king shit because his real life sucks. He's Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. His parents hate him. He doesn't get along in school. Not at all. Oh, no. It's no, you. No. You. You were expecting maybe Freddy Krueger. Who's Freddy Krueger? It's before your time. Listen, why don't you do me a favor and stay out of my life, all right, Pops? Nothing would give me greater pleasure. Where's Gina? And don't call me Pops. Gina's in the house. Pops. Coleman is greeted by the real Bobby, who appears to be trapped in a dream partially generated by Coleman's own subconscious. I know, pool seniors, this is getting deep. Coleman discovers that Gina... Skeptical of her husband's dream state theory from the beginning is also trapped in the dream, but is unable to communicate with him because part of her mind has been transferred to Lainey's body. I don't know how much, maybe 2%. I have no idea. Bobby informs Coleman that he has very little time to prevent what's left of his wife from forgetting about him 
and becoming lost in the dream forever. And he's in love with apparently his actual best friend, Joel's girlfriend, Lainey Diamond. Joel, who ends up wanting revenge from the school bully, Dumas, who they call dumbass. Dumas. Dumas. And a gun gets involved, which is fucking nuts. In order to not lose Gina, Bobby tells Lainey that she has to stay up the whole night of the dance in order not to forget her. Hence, Coleman will lose her forever. Yes. Gone. You're gone, Gina. All right, listen. Lainey, go home with them. Don't cause a scene. I'm going to be by the house later on. No, Bobby, you won't be coming by later. I'll be by. Don't fall asleep. Lainey's mom (laughs) then takes it upon herself with her douchebag looking boyfriend to drug her was it champagne yeah she literally put sleeping pills in her own daughter champagne and she falls asleep roofling there you go with that word roofling roofling what the hell is a roofling bobby s coleman is distraught because he tried to break into her house break through the window cuts his hand up gets thrown out of the house by weird boyfriend and he also falls asleep when he gets home distraught bobby reveals to coleman you know that stuff i told you about losing gina and all that well i made it up sorry but it did make for a great story (laughs) fuck On the chalkboard, it's written, science is an art. It takes faith, love, and courage. We get these random little inklings, like that one, for instance. I'm pretty sure those are Alan Jackson lyrics. Yeah. My buddy Al. <laughs> People started looking at me different, put me up on this pedestal like I was some kind of saint or something, you know, and I was like, man, I'm just a singer, simple song. Faith, <laughs> faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us. Yeah, we're waiting, for, love. we're waiting for Alan Jackson to give Alan us- Alan Jackson might as well have been in this movie. He probably fucking was. I have no idea because this movie makes literally no sense whatsoever coleman wakes up and talks to gina so poof gina's there by some sort of magic she's listening to music that was influenced somewhat by laney he doesn't want to talk about his dreams and meditation anymore he just wants to enjoy his life with her coleman makes peace with bobby and allows him to cut through the yard but bobby declines that's out of respect such a weird standoff and the movie ends it's okay go on through you're welcome to use the property Thank you very much, but uh, we'll go around. No, please. No, that's all right. Maybe another day. Invitation's open any time. Well, thank you, but uh, have a nice day. You too, Bobby. You can cut through. No, I don't think I will. Yeah, come on. No, I'm going to go around. Nah, come on. Anytime you want. And he's like, nah, I'm good. Now, let's put this into perspective, Bull Seniors. He lives on a corner lot. Yeah. It's not going to take much for him to walk the fence perimeter. It, no, it <laughs> is like, really, I, I'm not so certain certain that cutting through, really. It's just their kids who are Yeah, lazy. Yeah. But then again, they're all hiked so up on So after cocaine. all of that, you do agree that the proper vehicle to for this type of movie was definitely the two Corys. Yes. <laughs> yes. I maybe because the other Corey Haim really doesn't have any significant role no, in this movie. No, and we'll, we'll learn here in a minute. He wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. No, there's a lot of people that probably should never have been in this movie. Let's talk about the cast of dream a little dream of me. Corey Feldman is Bobby Keller. Corey Haim as Dinger, his supposed best friend. At, at the time of filming, the two Corys were both addicted to drugs such as cocaine. Yes. Feldman was on heroin. And he was he had an obsession with Michael Jackson. IMDB lists the Michael Jackson obsession as though it's also a drug. Which I mean, if you see the movie, you're kind of like, this might be a problem. 
So Corey Haim has a broken leg in this movie. Yes, he does. It had to be written into the script because it was in real life. He was training his mom how to ride a motorcycle. Now, remember, drugs. Big time. <laughs> That's an understatement. So he was teaching his mom how to ride a motorcycle. She throttled directly into a brick wall. She broke her nose and he broke his leg. So it, <laughs> so we got Dinger with this. Uh, uh, an actual cane. Dinger. And yeah, and I like... I watched this movie and I've seen it, you know, a few times and I'm like, I still don't know till this day what the storyline explanation for why he has a cane. They don't talk about it. There's a lot of things they don't talk about that. The gun, Joel, Joel, dream world, dream world. I have no idea. And also everybody pool seniors. This is my first time I've ever seen this movie. So I'm completely flabbergasted by most of this, but Meredith Salinger plays Lainey Diamond. Let's play a little game right here to three degrees of Salinger. Everybody. Michael Damien's Rock On is on the soundtrack, as Kevin brought up. Patton Oswalt does an amazing George W. Bush joke that also intertwines Michael Damien, as you'll hear right here. The thing I don't understand are people that support George Bush, and they're not billionaires. Like, that makes no fucking sense. They're like, I think George Bush is fucking awesome. You're like, wow, how much do you make? You must be like a billionaire. And they go, I make like 30 grand a year. And you're like, wow, because Bush fucking hates you. Did you know that? He fucking cannot stand you. He wouldn't be he wouldn't be caught dead with you. <laughs> seeing someone that like seeing someone like that, it's like meeting a girl that like Michael Damien is touring like the state fairs in the Midwest, still doing his, you know, remix of Rock On, and she fucking <laughs> blows him by the tilt a wheel and then goes home to her mom and go, fucking Michael Damien's in love with me, mom. He's gonna take me out of this town. And you're like, sweetie, no. He appreciated the blowjob, but he's not gonna come back for you. That's He's going to move on to other state fairs, but he won't come back to rescue you. You will go to work at the Fashion Bug tomorrow like you will until you die. And Patton Oswalt is married to one Meredith Salinger. So three degrees of Meredith Salinger so right there. Jennifer Connelly and Ion Sky were considered for the role of Lainey Diamond. Island Sky? Ion Sky. Oh, Ione Sky. Yeah, she was not say anything. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Jason Robards, who is a very amazing actor. Excellent actor. Somehow he was roped into this movie. He plays Coleman Edinger. Well, same with Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. Who played Ike Baker. <laughs> Way too good of an actor to be in this movie. Way too good. Piper Laurie plays his wife, Gina. As Kevin said, Harry Dean Stanton plays Ike Baker. William McNamara, who I thought I've recognized this kid from 30 different things. Apparently he just has that face. I was wrong. Plays Joel, who loves purple. <laughs> Susan Blakely. As Cherry Diamond. Cherry Forever. Yeah. Lainey Diamond and Cherry Diamond. Oh what an God. amazing family. Alex Rocco, who I know from the Cannonball Run movies, who always seems like he's chewing something, plays Gus Keller. Victoria Jackson plays Kit Keller. Two things for you. Victoria Jackson. That's why I had a double take when it came to her. She was only 12 years older than Corey Feldman in real life. So she would have had a 23-year age difference between her and Alex Rocco that played her husband. There's so so they just cast Emmy Rossum to play Tom Holland's mom. How? She's 10 years older than him. Oh, for fuck's sake. Hollywood's got a problem. Uh, Matt Adler as Dumas, who you might know Matt Adler from being an ancillary character in Teen Wolf. Let's see who else we have in here. We have. Well, uh, you have to mention Lala as Shelly. Oh, uh, yeah. Lala. Literally billed as Lala. So Corey Haim wasn't originally cast in this movie, but Lala was dating him at the time. And she 
would only appear on the condition that Corey Haim was cast. Was she such a hot commodity that she could dictate she terms? Got, they were like, nah, we'll just get someone else. So they rewrote the script, and it, therefore it became a two Corys movie. And Shelly is a very useless character. There's yeah, no need for Shelly. No point. Let's see who else we had in here. We have John Ward as Derek, Josh Evans, and Jody Smith as Low Life 1 and 2. Ken Falcon as Low Life 3. And of course, the other one that's built in here, John Ford Coley as Ron. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is Ron? Did I forget Ron? <laughs> I have no idea. Also, real quick, Victoria Jackson's name is Kit Keller. Kit Keller is also Lori Petty's character's name from yep. A League of their own same character it's a a shared universe (laughs) it's a marvel cinematic universe the soundtrack for this movie needs to be totally recognized here you have the likes of into the mystic van morrison rem yeah which that song and that scene and it seems to go away then come back with another song over it i don't know once again michael damien rock on otis redding during a football scene why not i've got dreams to remember but were other songs that weren't on the soundtrack tim buck three Frank Sinatra, Wilson Pickett, Blue Future, and Steve Plunkett. This is ridiculous. A crazy fucking soundtrack. But as we go any further, Kevin, let's talk about who's your favorite person? Who is likely to make the big splash in your life? Harry Dean Stanton is Ike. That's mine too. It's Ike. Oh, Ike. Hi. Morning. Where's the naughty boy? In his room. You're going to have that talk with him? Yeah, but don't expect any miracles. Look, please, don't don't let him know that I put you up to it. Dear heart, relax. Why don't you just forget about that crazy old coot anyway and let me take you away from all these... He's funny, and they, they have that, so the weird balcony restaurant yeah. where they eat. Were they in fucking France? Like, that seems like a French thing. Yeah, it's like a table on a not-quite-big-enough balcony No, where you can eat, and there's uh, there's some funny, like, old-guy humor. Don't ask, I'm embarrassed enough. I guess you should say he's kind of red in the face, yuck, yuck. Yeah, well, you're going to be red in the face when you get the bill for my new jogging suit. Yuck, yuck. Also, I want to point out that Jason Robards as Coleman seems to be wearing what an escaped psychiatric ward person would wear in public. It's all white gown, white shirt, white pants. He's like a guilty remnant from Leftovers. He's night. Which I might as well be. Ike's the first one that... Coleman is Bobby reached out to. He's like, hey, I'm Coleman. I'm Coleman. I don't know why I started talking like Danhausen again. I would have cursed you. No, but then he realizes Ike believes him. And there's this one great scene we'll talk about later with I Ike mean, and Bobby. And Watching this movie now, I ask myself, just since we picked the same one to, to give a different point of view, I ask myself, why wasn't Meredith Salinger like the biggest thing she throughout been. the early 90s? Yeah. Because she's good in this. She's got great acting chops. And a great look. I totally forgot why she wasn't the female equivalent like heartthrob. Yes. Right. God, drop dead gorgeous. Let's have you start first. What best scenes made the complete splash for you? So I will say a lot of my best scenes have to do with awesome music cue editing. I'm glad you got a lot of best scenes. I don't have because so I'll say first the intertwined scenes leading up to the swab. Also younger than the sun. And the Bonnie boat was one. 
as we sail into the mystic. So we've got Van Morrison's Into the Mystic playing, which is a great song. Van Morrison's an absolute shithead. So good. He is such a shithead, but an amazing song. I like a lot of Van Morrison stuff. The Coleman and Piper are doing the ritual out in the yard because for some reason it has to be done outside. Like in the middle of the night. And at a certain time. And Lainey slaps Joel and she rides away on her bike. Bobby, I don't remember what prompts him to just start fucking sprinting because he's with Dinger and something like tips him off and he starts sprinting. Come on, Dingus. Come on, Dingus. Let's go. Come on. Good boy. I've got work to do. I've got work to do. Let's go. Run. Run. Go with it. Run. Why am I running? I have a broken leg. So the whole time we're kind of getting like the rising music level of Into the Mystic playing and ultimately they collide. Bobby and Lainey collide in the Ettinger's yard. But they don't touch the Ettingers they, no, during the process. They do not. But somehow they swap question mark. Yes. Coleman and Bobby do. We don't know whatever happens to Gina. She probably died. I have no idea. I'm going to not say best scenes. I had, I just picked two scenes because. I was going to say scenes that are in the movie. Scenes that are in the movie. Bobby and Lainey's date before the big fight with Dumas. I feel so safe with you. I feel like I can tell you anything. I know. Why? Because we're them. You are who? We're the old couple. You're Gina and I'm Coleman. Why are you doing this? You're spoiling everything. It's the truth. You've got to hear me. I don't want to hear you. I'm starting to like you. I don't want to hear this. But you've got to. It's the truth. Bobby. Listen to me. Why are you doing this? You were your bike and I was running, okay? Bobby. When she's on the hood of his car and all of a sudden everything seems to click where she's slowly accepting that there's this other part of her life she doesn't understand. Well, he keeps telling her that she's Gina. He keeps straight up calling her Gina. But what if she's not? Yeah. Why is he so convinced? But they like to infer, like, Lainey was, I don't, is she a cheerleader or she just knows how to dance? I think, yeah, she's in... A dance club at the high school i don't know at the very beginning you could see man she's doing all these moves and joel and his buddies joel drinks all the time and then you got dumas and those weirdos checking her out the entire time she's sitting every dance move and then there's one point in this movie where she can't figure out how to dance anymore and it's yeah. starting to accept it the essence of gina is somewhat in her but not totally but that whole date scene before the fight and then even the fight's fucking the fight's horrible <laughs> But then Lainey's accepting the fact that those two are kindred souls and they should be together because she even says, I feel comfortable with you or I know who you are. So I like that scene. Uh, Coleman trying to get dressed for the first time in Bobby's body. No, this would look better on Ike. Where the hell did this kid shot? What? She's got a good body. Okay, what do we have here? Duck. Might be a little bit too flashy. Why they have little cereal bowls rolled up at the end of their sleeves. What the hell is this thing? It's weird. (laughs) I love it. It's like he, Coleman's like what, a 68 year old man? Yeah, he's up there. And Bobby is a style conscious, not saying good style, but he's a style conscious high school kid. It's very Michael Jackson. So yeah, he's a high school <laughs> Michael Jackson and Coleman can't, he's like going through the closet and can't figure out what to wear. He basically ends up brushing his hair real straight and then wearing like what a blazer. Yeah. And then everybody at school, like it's very noticeable to everyone that even like his parents are like, what are you wearing? Like, what are you doing? So it's definitely when Coleman is trying to figure out something 
something that's passable to him. You know, I'm just going to bring up this logic point right here. Coleman, like we said, is around 70. So he picks out literally a blazer and a tie and a button down shirt. You're telling me a man of that age cannot figure out how to put on a blazer, a tie and a shirt properly. He's going to be dressed perfectly. He looked disheveled as it's, shit. And that scene two is weird because he's like, well, at least I have a nice body. And it's like, oh, what? Okay, let's be honest here. Do you think he... You know, played with it a little bit. Oh yeah, checking out the new equipment. Yeah, you had to take a reek. I guess you would. I guess you would have to. Like, oh, look at this shit. One scene that I brought up briefly. It's kind of two scenes in the one. Bobby asks Coleman, talking Ike. Okay, okay, okay. Remember that story you told me about the two dancing Filipino girls on your first shore leave in Manila? I never believed you, right? It's a true story. Ike, I'm willing to believe you, but you've got to be willing to believe me. Carefully, bye. Smudge, smudge. Come on, come on, come on. Hi, Sure. How'd you know my name? Uh, I told him. You know, it's amazing. That dog hates everybody. The first yeah. one where he's, listen, the dog, the only person the dog ever liked was Coleman. Yeah. He knew his wife's name without ever meeting yeah, her. Yeah, Bobby shows up and has to convince Ike that he's Coleman. Yes, and it's really well done. And then later on in the movie, they're walking down the sidewalk in the night after the fight. And don't worry about the car. I'll get that fixed. Coleman? Yeah. Have you figured out how you're going to get back yet? I guess I'm going to have to repeat the experiment. It'll work. Don't worry. Thank you for everything. What are big grandpas for? Ike is even like, are you going to have to do the ritual again to get back? And he's like, I suppose so. Apparently fucking not, because we don't even know what the hell happened when it came to the end of this movie. Those are the only two things that I had. The football montage with Otis Redding's I've Got Dreams to Remember. (laughs) I've got dreams, dreams. Aren't you going to say something stupid, Keller? Why do you always bother me? I don't even know you. How dumb do you think I am? I don't know. It's a pretty leading question. How dumb are you? It's not, why is Otis Redding in that scene? Incredible. They drop out the Nat sound. Yes. There's a football game, which is it gym class. It's like a flag football because gym class. Because it is only between the two Corys, Joel and their other friend, whatever. And then like Dumas and his boys. I'm also, there's an also real quickly. I don't think Mark Rocco ever has seen a football game or a formation <laughs> because there's no offensive line. All the receivers are lined up as if they're the offensive line. There's literally 20 plus people playing this yeah. game. Dinger trips. Dinger is on the sidelines with his broken and leg. He trips, and he trips Dumas. Dumas. And then it causes a fight with Coleman as Bobby. But the whole time there's no Nat sound. There, we don't hear anything. All we hear is Otis writings. I've got dreams to remember. It's like they bought the rights to the song and couldn't figure out where to put it because this is the weirdest song ever put over a sports highlight ever. I love the song it's and they used song. it on the leftovers to bring that up for the second time, but very odd. I loved it. I loved it because it's so weird. The soundtrack is great as it is and is weird. The placement of the soundtrack still made more sense how this movie was going forward. Yeah. I don't understand how this movie ended up. You got anything else? Kip? Yeah. So not a best scene, not logic. It may be something you were going to bring up later, but Joel becomes a drunk domestic abuser who plans on shooting someone. What are you going to do with the gun, Joel? The gun. Hey, I'm going to join the party at the bridge, man. And the first guy that pisses me off gets a little surprise. Joel, come on, man. Don't you think that you're taking this thing a little too far? Get out of the car. Hey, look, man, I'm not trying to start shit with you. I'm your friend, Joel. I just, I don't want to see you go to jail. You know, jail behind bars. Hey, you've humiliated me, man, all right? Right? I'm not going to let this shit slide. Look, man, I'm not going to be responsible for this. 
All right, look, if I have to, I'll stop you. Hey, nobody's ever gonna stop me again, all right? Now get out! Out! I'm not gonna get out of the car. Get out! Get the hell out! Go, man. Out! Out! Go, man. What you... Hey, man! All of a sudden, they're like, listen, this guy has a lot of angst. He wears purple frilly jackets. He's pissed about life. Let's make him a DV guy. He's speeding and smoking in his convertible. And because of his prom suit, it looks like he's becoming the Joker. He finds out or gets tipped off that Bobby Coleman as Bobby. He doesn't know it's Coleman, but Bobby, his best friend, is maybe boinking his girlfriend. Actually, he's not boinking his girlfriend. No. Joel's whole deal is that why won't Lainey put out? He's basically like, every girl at school just gives it to me. Why won't Lainey? So he's already a scumbag, but even Lainey's scumbag mom loves Joel, even to the point where we want you in this family. How weird is that? That's a logic issue for me because he's (laughs) fucking 17 years old. He's 17. And the mom's got him on the porch and she's like, we love you. We want you in this family. So Why? Weird. And then the one thing I got from Joel wanting to help Bobby in a weird way is after they take this like college entry exam. Yeah. Bobby is Coleman takes him five minutes or something like that. Out in the hall, Joel grabs one of Dumas's minions, yes. one of his buddies. Hey, hey you know, Joel. Four guys, my buddy. What are you doing, Joel? What are you doing? Stop it, Joel. That's enough. Hey! I'm doing this for you, all right? I don't need it, all right? I didn't need it last night. Digger didn't need it the other day on the football field. And none of us need it now. It's enough of this shit. All right, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Fucking why? Because yeah. Bobby's even over it. He's like, Bobby's like, no, it's it's really fine. Like, we shouldn't fight. Yeah. Bobby and Lainey are having a little bit of their conversation about their tryst. It's like his Bobby's girlfriend overhears it. Yeah. And there's a big misunderstanding, but it works out in their favor. So why have the misunderstanding? But anyway, Joel shows up drunk to prom and instantly just goes after Lainey. Not Bobby. Lainey. He pushes <laughs> her down. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just like, it is the most fucking this- psycho shit. Look, it's not what you think ever since the accident. Hey, there are no accidents. So you've been so frigid, huh? You owe me. Stop it, Joel! Hey, fuck you! Can't even say it, huh? You know what, Joel? Just hit me! It has nothing to do with Bobby. It was you. What you wanted to do. You don't give a shit about me. Well, I do. And I want out. No goddamn way. You're mine! Get off the feet off! Okay, for at least a whole hour, Joel knows that there's something going on between these yeah. two. But Joel doesn't seem pissed off that his girlfriend might be fucking his best friend. It's all of a sudden, it's her fault. Yes. What the fuck? There, oh. there are so many what I feel like are missing scenes in this movie. Like, I need another half hour just to explain how everything works. But there's also like that scene where Bobby is standing in the hallway watching Lainey dance, which is like a real like peeping Tom sort of feel. Yeah. But then Joel and there's something with like, do Moss comes in, but then there's Joel keeps telling Lainey that Bobby and Dinger will be there. He's like, they'll be here. What are they waiting for? Yeah. There's that whole scene where I don't understand. Yeah. There's a lot of this movie. I just, I feel like it's missing. That's my reaction to this entire movie is <sighs> because I just, there's so many things. Like I told Kevin before we started recording because both Corey's, the two Corey's were so hiked up on drugs. I sense that the director, Mark Rocco basically just phoned it in. Like, yeah, they weren't listening. They were going to do Film, what they want, whatever, whatever they do. Corey, you want to fucking act like Michael Jackson, like a Canadian tuxedo, Michael Jackson, just fucking do it. 
do what you want to do. I don't care anymore. And maybe that explains why there's a lot of content. And they just, just never filmed some of the scenes they needed. It's like, listen, Rocco, you got 30 days to film this movie. They just omitted important scenes to enter Corey Haim scenes. It's pretty bad. You got anything else, Kevin? No. All right. There has to be a pool somewhere around this. There has to be. I would imagine there they is. They filmed this movie in Wilmington, North Carolina. It I gets hot. So I think it's time for a pool check. Hey, everybody, out of the actual pool, into the metaphysical pool. (laughs) Eat a metaphysical hot dog, motherfucker. (laughs) So this week on the pool check, we are going to do the Mount Rushmore of body swap movies. Now, Kevin, I had a bit of difficult, uh, kind of a difficult time because I literally could only think of three good really? ones. I could only think of three oh, good I did, ones. I did well, I think, but we'll have to discuss because a couple body swap movies, are they really body swap movies? Okay. So, Kevin, why don't you kick it off first? My first face that has to be on my Mount Rushmore of body swap, face off. Oh, how did I forget fucking caster and pollux troy so john woo thriller from 1997 cage and travolta they don't switch places spiritually there's not like the conscious of one person inside the other they physically literally swap faces surgically face off and it's crazy for the nicholas caginess of it all it is a movie that we're gonna have to cover because it's so good nuts It's nuts. So my first one, we're going back to the original body swap movie, 1977, Jodie Foster, Freaky Friday. The first one. The very first one. It kicked it all off. It put this genre into the atmosphere and then crashed it harder than Moonfall at the box office. It's crazy because there's like maybe 30 body swap movies. There's a lot of them. Yeah. There are, same with the Groundhog's Day premise. So Groundhog's Day was the first about a guy who just lives the same day over and over again. And in Groundhog's Day, you don't really understand, or Groundhog Day, you don't really understand why it happens. But there's a bunch of those movies that, especially in the last couple years, that it's just like, they keep shit now because it works and you can apply like a different premise but mine my second one a little bit more traditional 17 again so 2009 movie a 17 year old on the verge of a state championship and basketball scholarship finds out his girlfriend is pregnant he walks off the court and essentially gives it all up fast forward to his late 30s and he's now bored with life getting divorced his kids won't talk to him and through a series of events which at least they explain how it works he body swaps into himself at 17 so he gets to go back so he went back in time maybe he swaps with a random teenager but he he basically gets to a do-over okay and then there's a a little bit of a a twist to it that movie doesn't have is that that's not zach efron zach efron matthew perry okay oh god matthew perry yeah pivot so my next one is by far it's big tom hanks yeah. big which that's one of the ones i said again it's, it's it is technical but it isn't you all know the story 12 year old kid goes to a zoltar machine wishes to be big becomes a 30 year old man works at a, a toy development company has sex with an older woman i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it he gave you a bag <laughs> i fucking love john hurry such a great actor But then again, Kevin and I brought up on multiple podcasts, the scene at the end where she willingly knows that she had sex with a kid. It's a big reveal. It is. Oh, (laughs) and then drives away. 
1988, Vice Versa. That was my next one, too. Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage. We may have to cover this one, too, at some point. The catalyst for the swap in this movie is an ancient Buddhist skull. That should have been in this movie. That they find in Thailand. An 11-year-old kid swaps with his department store vice president dad. And again, the thing that's good about this one, clear rules for the swap. They have to touch the Buddhist skull and wish on it, and they swap. This one, heavy, man. It's like the dad's like, well, I wish I could be a fucking asshole 11-year-old kid. (laughs) Piece of shit. Do all the things 11 and the kids resentful of his dad because he's like, why is he so busy all the time? Why why don't he love me? They walk a mile on each other's shoes. What is great about that movie is Judge Reinhold plays being a kid oh, yes. perfectly. Yes. My next one, actually my final one, like father, like son, yep. crazy Kirk Cameron before he went nutso and Dudley Moore. Once again, clear line to father and son. Father's a doctor. Son is a student that's not doing well in school. The father's not around. They decide to have a weekend. Thanks to their neighbor. They drink a thing called brain transference serum. And then that's how they swap bodies. So Dudley Moore becomes a teenager who just fucks everybody. And then Kirk Cameron has to go to work for his dad. Clear lines of what happened. And it's a great movie. It's kind of necessary. It's very necessary. It is a necessary part. If you're going to do a body swap movie, tell me why the body. You need to have the MacGuffin. Yes. My final one. Clear reason why they swapped. Freaky 2020 slasher movie. A serial killer, the Blissfield Butcher, swaps bodies with a high school girl. So he's trying to kill a high school girl, which is his MO. And he is in this rich guy's house. He steals like an ancient Sumerian dagger. The conditions are right. The dagger stabs. The Blissfield Butcher swaps bodies with a high school girl. So a high school girl in the body of Vince Vaughn trying to convince her friends that she's their friend. Meanwhile, a fucking ruthless serial killer is in the body of a high school girl. It's fucking interesting. Nuts. It's an awesome movie. Vince Vaughn's really great in, in this one. Again, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the two that we did not, uh, well, that I that I have as honorable mentions that we didn't mention. The Hot Chick, Rob Schneider. Okay. And The Change Up, which was Ryan Reynolds. Can't remember. Yeah, what's the dude's name? I don't know. David Spade. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. So I have two as well. An ABC television movie from 1988 that was kind of based off 13 going on 30, the Jennifer Garner movie. This one was called 14 going on 30. It's about a kid and his best friend. Best friend's a scientist. Kid's in love with his teacher, and he realizes the only way he can have his teacher fall in love with him is if he becomes older. So, of course... His scientist buddy created this cage where he can make him grow older. Then he gets, you know, you know the story yeah. from there on in. And Rick Rossovich is in it, which is great too. And also, Problem Child. Why? Yeah. Because Kramer becomes, no wait, it's Child's Play. Am I thinking Child's Play? You're thinking Child's Play. Yes, yeah, not Problem Child. Jesus I mean, Christ. the body of a serial killer in <laughs> a doll. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Problem um, Child. Yeah. And there's one more that might qualify and it might be a spoiler because we may just be covering this very soon. Trading Places. Yes. Not a literal body swap movie, but a literally trading places movie. Life. A life. Yes. Trading a life. Yes. That's a good Stay one. tuned for that one. All right, Kevin. I think we completed our Mount Rushmore. We found movies that had a clear sense of why there were body swaps. Let's get back to the movie that makes no sense. Put them back in the pool. Hey, back out of the metaphysical pool. Oh, it didn't matter. Oh, get in the pool. 
So this week's critical question is how would you rewrite this pile of garbage? Kevin, you got the massive amount of data thinking how you would rewrite this movie. Tell the pool sceners what you came up with. So I will say that this movie is very disappointing because all of the pieces are there for this to be an okay to a pretty good movie. It's got soundtrack. It's got a pretty girl. It's got a bully. It's got some friends. It's got a body swap thing. It, it had the pieces. Yeah. They just arranged the pieces in the wrong order. I think they stacked too much shit on top of too much shit. And the result is a, a giant pile toilet. of shit. Yeah. A clogged toilet. There you go. So here's how I'd fix the movie. Bobby and Dinger are best friends. They're losers. Bobby has a crush on Lainey, but she's dating the most popular guy in school. So the Mike Dexter, the Greg Tolan, the bully archetype. They're not friends. Bobby and Joel, not friends. No. Bobby is invisible to Lainey at this point. She has no idea who he is. So Bobby and Dinger cut through Ettinger's yard every day. How many times have I told you this is private property? Every day, sir. Well, then why don't you go another way? Foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Emerson, 1841. Yeah, like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I've heard of them. Uh, stay off the grass. Look what you're doing to my lawn. Oh, you don't have to thank us, sir. It was our pleasure. Thanking you never entered my mind. You know, you are disturbing my work. The Ettingers would not be trying to live forever, but not necessary. So maybe the Ettingers, maybe they're still into yoga and stuff like that. They're hippies. And they picked up an odd library book, maybe at a garage sale. This yes. odd book. There's your MacGuffin. They basically decide to follow the instructions in the odd book. We still get the collision, but it's only between Coleman and Bobby. So no dream purgatory. Bobby and Coleman switch places. That's it. Coleman is in Bobby's body, and that leads to the events that make Laney notice him. So he's like, a, you know, he he has the character traits of Coleman. And Coleman starts like maybe they, he dresses different in Bobby's body. He becomes smart. more suave and debonair. He's suave. Exactly. So... Lainey starts to notice him. Joel wants to stop Bobby from talking to Lainey. Meanwhile, Bobby is in Coleman's body, which what does this teenage Bobby in a 70-year-old man's body have in common with Gina? There's your com comedy, though. Yes, very much comedy. So Bobby in Coleman's body, all he wants to find out how to switch back. That's all he gives a shit about. So basically, he asks Gina what happened? How did we get here? This is, I think, Bobby and Coleman's body, Gina and Harry Dean Stanton, try to find out the origin of the book, ultimately learning they only have until midnight to swap back. So basically, they track down the origin, they talk to whoever, somebody, it's revealed to them, you can switch back, but how long has it been? You only have until midnight. Okay. It only lasts a week or three days or whatever. You only have until midnight. Joel shows up with a gun to interrupt the ritual. Joel, you've got a gun. Do you understand that? You got a gun, Joel. But ultimately they fight him off. They complete the ritual so that there is an actual swap and an actual swap back. And then to end the movie, we get a where are they now? Okay, I like that. So Bobby gets into college. Like a post credit scene. Col Coleman and Gina, you know, are more in love than ever. I'm sorry I'm a little out of it. I love you, though. Oh, Uncle Police. I love you, too. Laney, whatever, Dinger, whatever. But they just need to cut the shit out of this movie. Oh, there's tons of it. 
in your movie, if it was made nowadays, you would, of course, have to have the comical scenes with Coleman as Bobby with Gina. Yes. It's like, wow, is that all you want to do is just have sex all the time? Yes. What if he was like a virgin? You had a virgin element. I mean, something, right? Something weird. There's got to be something that Gina has to go. What has gotten into you? The most important parts are clearly define the rules of the body swap. You have to. Get rid of the fucking Inception dream purgatory stuff. Why are Bobby and Joel best friends? Get rid of that. Joel is our antagonist. Coleman and Bobby both trying to accomplish something. Coleman would like being in Bobby's body because he's young and youthful again. Yeah, he's virile. And then Bobby would want the hell out of Coleman's body because he's 70 years old. He's got achy back, that sort of thing. And he's he's his wife is you know older his friends older so they have to find get me out of this body we're gonna do everything it takes and like you said there's the comedy make it a lot more simple keep the good soundtrack if you could only go back and define one thing in this movie one person that seems to fuck with everything and it's joel yeah because his role makes absolutely no sense he is bobby's best friend that seems the furthest thing from a best friend when it's dinger that's always at his yeah. house every There's morning a, literally a quote in this movie that when it's coleman as bobby we're friends, right? And Dinger's like, best friends, yeah. <laughs> you always seem to find me, don't you? We're friends for, huh? Uh, best friends, right? Right on, man. So it's like, I feel Dinger's getting a short end of the stick here. Yeah. Because even Dinger tries to stop Joel from taking a gun to go kill Dumas. Yeah. We didn't mention the opening scene of this movie. Oh, God. Which is, I don't know what word I want to use, but it's them sleeping in like a condemned bedroom eating and just having a heart to heart like having a sleepover real weird and then we get jason robard singing on stage to somebody that's completely like a, not him that singing. is like a twin peak scene so odd it's really weird it makes no sense but the one thing that wouldn't make sense is if david mccall was in this movie and you know hey i want to be a body swap guy let's go to logic it all could have been different mr walker should have allowed nature to take its course. Hey, I got a great body. You want to swap my body? Logic. Everything. Yeah, the whole movie. <laughs> okay, let's get into specific things of logic. I'm going to start off first. You mentioned earlier how Bobby, there's that one scene in school where Bobby from afar is like a peeping Tom on yeah. Laney. Somehow, Bobby knows, as Coleman, Laney's combo to put flowers in her locker, and he sits back and just watches her with the flowers. How does he know her combo? There's no way. How do Bobby and Laney not see each other before they collide? The way that they shoot that scene, like... It's an excellent... It's so so frustrating because there are times in this movie where the filmmaker seems so competent and, like, he can make a good movie, and he just can't hone it in because the way, the angle at which they shoot this, you don't see... Bobby and Laney collide. They should have seen each other. But even once they do collide, why don't Gina and Coleman be like, you guys okay there? You just fucking crashed. What throws the whole thing off for me, they needed to hit those two in order for the body swap to make sense. They didn't come anywhere near them, yet somehow they swap bodies. My next one. If Bobby is Coleman, how the hell is he dancing like Michael Jackson in yes. that high school scene? Yes. All of a sudden, Coleman, who even when he does his alpha wave trance tai chi thing he's very uncoordinated yeah. but in that high school scene where they're doing the dream a little dream song and for some reason in his coked out brain we got full-on cory feldman as michael jackson doing the moonwalk crotch grab jumping down bleachers with no problem whatsoever while he is still coleman yeah what 
in the hell. No idea. Before the swap, I don't know if you noticed this, Bobby and Coleman have like a convergent dream. Bobby says, hey, you know that old guy whose yard we cut through? He was in my dream last night. They both dreamt of each That's other. right, yeah. So is the insinuation that this is fate or meant to happen? Why were they in each other's dreams before? I mean, it's like foreshadowing, but that's not proper foreshadowing. No, it's not. Like, it's really weird that they just sort of casually like, hey, I had a dream with this stranger in it. And then like five minutes later, they are each other. So I have one that's very weird. As I said, this is the first time I ever watched this movie. Right off the bat, we are in coleman and gina's house ike comes in not knowing who ike is and gina proceeds to just grab him and kiss him yes and i'm like is she fucking cheating on her husband (laughs) Right, right i know a lot of women who have friends with men i've never seen one of them embrace that said man no and, and lay one don't on kiss him. my wife and, and then, then Col- he says something like when are you gonna leave that guy and come be with me yeah so if you have no idea like a first time yes. viewer mainly moi you're thinking that she's fucking this guy behind coleman's back while he's doing yeah. fucking uh, yo-yo ma upstairs yeah, it's real weird so odd it's real weird it's i wonder if it was a contract like harry dean stands like look i can see a turd i know what a turd looks like this is a turd i want to kiss that old lady yeah like, we've mentioned this we've went over it a couple of times. i have a bunch of logic but we've mentioned this a couple of times coleman is in bobby's body gina is in lady's body maybe maybe but she doesn't know she's gina the real bobby is trapped in a dream state along with gina and coleman their actual physical forms they're gone it's hard to explain they're not in their house because when i think it's their first date when bobby and laney have their first date his move is to go in the ettinger's house let's go into their house and eat tofu cold tofu out of the fridge what are you doing getting some real food Bobby, that's cold tofu. Mm, I know, it's so good. Want some? No. Mm. What are we doing here? And why do you have the key? Um, I'm watching the house for the old people. And he's like, oh, I'm watching their place. Where are they? They don't explain where they went off to. Their physical forms have vanished but then again in the end he said she wasn't going anywhere i just made this up for a story it's so disappointing i can't understand why they added the wrinkle that laney doesn't know she's gina because that to me is the ultimate logic issue yeah you have a body swap who doesn't know she's a body swap so again the elements of this movie are like we don't have clear rules for the body swap there's a metaphysical dream world like freddy krueger you have a body swap who doesn't know she's a body swap because in the collision she had like brain damage and now she has like uh, some sort of divergent brain or something like i don't understand anything this movie makes no i just sense. watch it and i bob my head along to the nice music and then it's over <laughs> it's weird it's so bad keep going with your logic because i i'm good coleman trying to invent inception by consciously trying to enter a dream so we understand him as what a professor he is he's a professor he thinks that entering the metaphysical dream world is the key to living forever. Well, I think he believes what he says, and I certainly admire his conviction. Nothing to worry about. I think he's going to ask me to do it with him. And then I'd worry. Why? <laughs> Why would you want to live forever as a 70-year-old man? Why is he like some crazy scientist then? But instead, he's just a professor. I'm just a cook. He's just a professor and he wants, he thinks he's going to invent inception. 
While walking to school, the girls that they walk with are rapping. Bobby's saying, stop rapping. It's out. It was a long time ago. Little did he know of like the signs of things to come. Yeah. Because he's like, stop rapping. It's out. It's like, no, it's going to go on forever. Why is Joel so concerned about what Bobby wears? <laughs> Look what he fucking the wears. The first day that Coleman is Bobby, Joel is pissed that Bobby doesn't have moose in his hair. Yeah. He literally says to him. How about to get some moose in your hair? What do you care? If I was him, I'd be like, look in the mirror. Why are you wearing a purple jacket with frillies on it? Jim, If why do you have a gun? Jim, <laughs> if I ever show up and you're like, hey, you need some moose in your hair. I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Lainey's mom telling Joel that they want him in the family. Lately, where you find that Keller boy, you find my daughter. Now, we like you a lot, Joel. We'd like to see you in the family. They're in high school. Super weird. Bobby's parents. We didn't mention them. Yeah. Quite the odd couple. You want to talk about an age difference? Yeah. Like I said, 23 years in real life. Oh my God. They look even worse in film. I didn't know that was Victoria Jackson at first yeah. until I researched the movie. Right. Super weird. And then uh, Lainey's mom and mom's boyfriend, Rufier, which we mentioned. Ugh. They're literally like, the mom has no problem. I don't want you seeing him anymore. Go give her this drink. I just roofied. Okay. No problem. And she tells Joel, I want you to be a part of this family. I think, you know what would make more sense? She's fucking Joel. Yeah. That would make more sense then, why she wants him around. And then he asks her, want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> because he it's a Joker origin story. Yeah, it's bad. Purple suit, man. There's also one little Easter. Well, there's a couple Easter eggs, but one that stuck out for me. The Lost Boys poster yeah. in Bobby's room. There's another one, too, with a Jason Robards movie. They kind of flyer this movie with yeah, things their, to Yeah, their catalog. Yeah, kind of cool. All right, Kevin. Legacy in this movie. There is the direct-to-DVD sequel that came out in 95 kevin tell him what that's all about wow the sequel is so bad so coleman sends bobby and dinger a pair of magic sunglasses from the spirit world he's not in the movie <laughs> but they just they get a package and it's like bobby dinger and some girl redhead girl live in an apartment together. Is it robin lively yes. i think yep, it's robin lively they live in an apartment together and so they get these sunglasses from the spirit world with instructions on what to do with them how to use them but of course, being Bobby and Dinger, they spill soda on the instructions and are forced to experiment for themselves. There are people who will stop at nothing to get these sunglasses back. If you are a user of the drugs, ingest some of your favorite drugs and watch Dream a Little Dream 2 because it is is something six years after the original has really nothing to do with the first one now the, the magic sunglasses spoiler alert whoever wears them has like mind control over the other person the other person so there's like a scene where robin lively makes Corey haim clean the apartment for three hours thrilling there is an unbelievable now jim i know you won't believe this Corey feldman michael jackson tribute that seems to go on about three to four to five to 18 times too long. It's like five uninterrupted minutes. You don't say. Of Corey Feldman dancing like Michael Jackson. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Also, Corey Feldman has been headlined the Naya Bing in Youngstown one I time. I was there. Kevin was there. He can vouch for the amazing performance. Corey Feldman did the entire first song backwards, like with his back to the crowd. Bless their Youngstown heart, whoever it was. 
the second that Corey Feldman, he was dressed kind of like a fucking scarecrow, by the way. But the second that he finally turned around, a bottle rocket shot him right in the face. <laughs> Somebody lit like a bottle rocket and timed it to the point where as soon as he turned around, it hits him right in the face. After the song is done, he goes, guys, I, I know we're having a good time, but uh, please don't shoot me with bottle rockets. <laughs> so when he was on Stern multiple times. Oh, a lot. He had that hot fiance yeah she was there selling his merch i will say Susie, uh, i believe her name yeah, was allegedly i will go on record and say allegedly Corey feldman had sex with a youngstownite at the Nyabingi like that night like went upstairs there was like an apartment or whatever upstairs and had the sex with uh someone while his uh, fiance was downstairs and yeah, that's all, i'll leave it at that yeah and as you guys know Corey Haim struggled with substance abuse quite heavily he died on march 10th 2010 the lapd stated that his death appeared to be an accidental overdose there were bottles containing valium vicodin Soma and Halipidol, an antipsychotic, were retrieved. It was emerged that Haim had used illegal aliases to procure over 553 prescription pills God. in the 32 days before his death, having doctor shopped seven different physicians and used seven pharmacies to abstain the supply. Kevin, now this is these numbers are ridiculous. The pills included 195 Valiums, Whoa. 149 Vicodins. 194 somas in 15 Xanax. So he could have been a main character on HBO's Euphoria. Probably because this is ridiculous. The official coroner's report said that he died of diffused alivarial damage and pneumonia together with hypotrophic cardiomyopathy and coronary arteriosclerosis, which means his heart was yeah. his heart was in bad shape and Corey Haim passed away. So now Corey Haim, I will mention there's another movie he did that I actually enjoy. I bet if I watch it now, it is probably the biggest piece of shit movie ever, but it's called Fast Getaway. Oh, I remember Fast Getaway. I love it. His dad is like a bank robber. I remember that movie. And he like gets out and like rekindles with the sun and then they start robbing bank but i remember the scene where uh, who's who's the girl uh, the female lead in the movie i think she was like a model at the time maybe nicole eggert i, I think it no you're right it is nicole, nicole eggert, eggert. She's there's a like Baywatch. a scene where she like propositions him and he like looks at her i don't think he knows what she means and then she shows him a condom fucking awesome when i was like <laughs> a kid i was like yeah i was like that for nicole eggert and after seeing christy swanson in the chase with yeah. charlie sheen i was like wow nicole eggert and blown away is she blown away yeah. yeah yeah i think you're right about that yeah so i think we should do a bunch of cory two cory's movies we've done lost boys my favorite is license to drive license to drive is mine as well so we've done uh lost boys we've done now dream a little dream probably won't do dream a little dream too unless we get into drugs or or we uh, just want to get incredibly drunk yes but yeah we should do license to drive at least and i would agree go from there so kevin if you don't have anything left guys check out this movie this is this is the movie we'd love to hear you guys respond check us out on facebook but before then let's have some plugs Super single cone at Friendly's when you buy any sandwich with fries. Or when you buy any platter. A great deal for a short time. It's gonna be a friendly summer. 
Pool Sceners, once again, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Pool Scene Podcast. And as always, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Smash that like button with unbridled enthusiasm and make sure you spread the word of the Pool Scene Podcast to one and all. Go over to Facebook at Pool Scene Podcast. Join the Pool Sceners group. You guys want to win some free stuff? Maybe make a suggestion about an episode or two? Let us know. Join today. Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast and TikTok. We're trendy with the kids, y'all. At Pool Scene Pod 1. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now back to Kevin. Or back to me. Final lap, guy. Let's do it. Yeah. There he goes. Ayrton Senna. Ayrton. Ayrton. Ayrton Senna do Brazil. Going to the <laughs> All, All right, right Kevin, so what do you got? You did, you pitched it to me, but then had to pitch it back to yourself. And there was a reason if no one picked up on it, did a body swap movie. That's so right. essentially, we did a body swap episode, Jim hosting. Yes. And me doing the, the news and, and Jim's normal bits. Now, I considered doing the body swap where you actually said you were Kevin and I was Jim. But then I was like, if there's a first time listener, <laughs> they're going to be like, <laughs> they're not going to pick up on the joke. Not Much so, like this movie yeah they're not gonna get it so yeah we did a just for fun we did a body swap body swap episode that's right we did a two-way body swap and not a four-way the only thing i really want to mention in uh in final app this week is uh i've been given some magic mic updates and so more details coming out it looks like to rival mike lane mr magic mike Ooh. there will be a female dance counterpart Ooh. so the he meets up or teams up with the female version of Magic Mike. It's Halle Berry, isn't it? I don't know yet. I'm sure they're going to cast some real fucking... Maybe they'll cast the... What's her name? Natasha Lyons from, from NXT. Nikita Lyons. Yeah, they might as well just cast Nikita Lyons from go. NXT. And uh, Pool singers, go check out how she pinned somebody two weeks ago. She, just check out her Twitter feed. It, or the, her Instagram. The, the photos that she posts. Wow. Yeah, there's going to be a female counterpart. And apparently, I keep seeing something about they're going to put on the Super Bowl of stripping. So That's kind of what you speculated. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 see. Oh, Kevin and I will be there fucking opening night. <laughs> Us, a whole theater full of women. I've we're always going. said the the first time, and I'm not exaggerating. The first time when I saw the first Magic Mike in theaters with my wife and uh, another one of our friends, the theater was very uh, sauna esque. Yes, it was. Uh, there was steam. It's meant to be sexy. It was, it was like steam, and it was hot in there, and sticky and muggy, and pheromones, man, moist. Ooh, in the theater. You know what we should do? If we go see that opening night, we'll have is we're coming out. We'll interview people. Like, what would you guys think of Magic Mike? And put it on the episode. we'll put it on the episode. Just spoiler cast. Not even tell them, but whatever. <laughs> no, no consent. No, for no. Us. Do I need to sign? No, you're fine. So I want to bring up before we end this episode that I think with everything going on in the world, want to throw our support to Ukraine. There's a lot of things going on out there where you guys could help donate for the Ukrainian support. A big, amazing shout out to their president, Vladimir Zelensky, who I feel for this guy. His country is getting bombed into the Stone Age, but he's defiant and the Ukrainians are putting up one hell of a fight. God bless him. So if you guys can go out there and show your support for Ukraine, that would be much appreciated. All my best goes to Ukraine and hopefully things turn around for him. I really do. So in closing, Slava Ukraini, Slava Heroyim. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ukrainian chorus Dumka of New York.